Hebrews, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. It doesn't mean much until you feel alone or abandoned or betrayed. Right? Then you hold on to it with both hands. And you just hold on to the hope and the promise that he's never going to leave you in your situation, no matter what. He's faithful to complete the good work he started in you. It doesn't mean much until you've blown it or you've messed up and you fall back on the reality that, God, you'll never leave me. You're not done with me. That you're going to pick me up and brush me off and keep me going. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean much until you're face to face with an impossible task where you feel helpless or weak. And then you're like, Lord, I can do this. You've asked me to do it. You've called me to do it. And we keep going. Jesus says, I'm the way. And it doesn't mean much until you need direction or you feel lost. And then Jesus is offering his hand. He doesn't want to just show you the way or point you in the right direction. He wants to grab you by the hand and take you in that direction. That's what he means by that. I am the way. I'm not going to just show you the way that I am the way. And we hold on to these promises in the word of God because they're vital to our walk and our lives and our continuance to keep going. If you look at chapter 12 with me for just a second, maybe you got to turn the page, maybe you don't. It says this in verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. And then the ultimate testimony is this, because we're going to lay, look at the testimonies in Hebrews 11, but the ultimate testimony is this in verse 2. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's you and I, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. So the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 gives us the imagery and the picture of a race that we're all supposed to run. And he brings it into the stadium, if you've ever watched a long-distance race, because that's what we're in. And sometimes it, it finishes in a large stadium where everyone is there. You know, you, you, you basically can, some people crawl into that stadium, and then they hear the cheers of men and women from the crowd and it re-energizes them and rejuvenates them, and they get up and they make their last lap, right? And that's the idea here in Hebrews 12. We're surrounded by these witnesses, and it's really the witnesses of Hebrews chapter 11, right? And it's not heaven looking down. It's not all these men of faith and women of faith looking down like, man, I hope they make it. No, they're testimonies that we look to, examples that we look to, in the Word of God. And we have 19 of them here, and then some, and they deal with so many issues that we'll go through in our lives, so many things in our walk that we can hold on to. We can refer back to their life in the Word of God and say, you know what, if they make it, I can make it. We serve the same God. And that's how we can look back at 2022 and look forward to 2023, that 
We're, we're rounding our last laps, some of us, but the Lord's coming back. And we can make it. We can finish. So back in chapter 11, he starts out with Abel. He says in verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead, he still speaks. It's fitting that we start with the offering, right? Because there's always going to be this battle between human effort and divine accomplishment. Human effort is our working our way to God and being good enough and being the right person, the right Christian, not doing certain things and doing other things and being accepted by God, never going to work. It was an offering of blood and it was a foreshadowing and a picture of the Lamb of God, God's only Son who would come to save the world from their sins. It was a picture and Abel knew that. And Cain, what did he offer? The, the fruit of the, his the, the sweat of his brow and the fruit of the ground, something that God didn't require. And he killed his brother for it. It also gives us hope of eternal life, that his blood cried from the ground. Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees that God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. living. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who have gone been dead for thousands of years. He, not, he wasn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And that's the hope we have. That's the hope of a life that may be cut short, like Abel's. But this isn't the end, that we don't have to sorrow as others who have no hope, like the world. But we have hope. We have hope in eternal life. The next is Enoch. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that, that he did not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him, for before he was taken he had this testimony that he pleased God. And without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you remember Enoch lived, I think it was 87 years, and then he begot a son, and then it says he, and, and then Enoch walked, walked with God. And then he walked with God for 300 years. And Enoch is a picture of endurance, because Enoch lived in the darkest, most wicked days you can live in. It was the days leading up to the flood of Noah. Sometimes we think, how are we going to make it through 2023? The days are getting darker, things are getting worse. How are we going to live? How are my kids going to live? And Enoch is an example of people who endured for 300 years in the worst of worst circumstances. When things got hard and dark and you're worried about your kids, you're worried about your family, you're worried about social media and, you know, cell phones that have, you know, every evil, wicked thing at the touch of your fingers. Enoch is an example of being able to endure. 300 years continue. In the darkest of days, when it's hard, 
And you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Verse 7, Noah. It says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, rain, it hadn't rained up to that point. He moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah is an example of someone who can listen and obey God, even if no one else in the world does. No one else in your world does. No one else around you is listening to God or cares what God has to say that you, can, you, you still can. He prepared an ark. He can obey when it feels like no one else has to do what I'm doing. I'm building this ship. Who else is building a ship? When you feel alone and lonely and you keep preaching in spite of any response, he was a preacher of righteousness for over 100 years, and he kept going. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham obeyed when he didn't know where he was going. He couldn't see the end when he started. He didn't even know where he was going. It's on the list of the top five things, some list, of the most stressful things you can do in your life, moving. I don't know if anyone can attest to that. And the more kids you have, the harder it is, right? Moving is, is hard. Uh, packing up. Imagine, I can't imagine telling Leah, hey, hon, we're moving. You know, we've got nine kids and all the stuff that goes with nine kids. Hey, we're, we're moving. Pack up the stuff. We're selling. Uh, where are we going? I have no idea. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Like, who's going to listen to me? Are you crazy? Right? But that's what Abraham did. Where are we going, Abraham? I have no idea where we're going. God just said, sell it all and take off. And sometimes that's the life of faith, right? You just take one step in front of the other, and God is showing you and leading you. That's what a shepherd does sometimes. You don't have all the answers. You don't know where you're going, but you're following his word. It's having the attitude that says it doesn't matter where we're going, as long as I'm in God's will. I trust him. And then he moves to Sarah. Verse 11 and 12, it says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Right? She's an example to us to believe in spite of what things look like. In spite of the way you feel. 
to just keep going, that we can do that. Sometimes things in our life, it's like, Lord, how is that going to work out? It seems impossible. There's no hope or chance of that working or happening. How do we keep going? And Sarah, and if you read the story, and you can read all these stories, Hebrews doesn't give us the whole account because Sarah laughed, didn't she? Like, I have a baby now? No way. This is not going to happen. But on this side of Calvary, we see that this is, these are men and women of faith, and God is growing them in their faith, right? Because we're all going to mess up. We're all going to laugh sometimes at the promises of God. We're all going to be, like, skeptical of some, man, Lord, is that, you want me to do that? You get what? That doesn't seem possible. That seems impossible. Ask Lazarus and Mary and Martha, right? Roll the stone away, Jesus said. They're like, wait, 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 Lord, he's been dead for four days. He has to stink now. And sometimes that's what God does to grow our faith because it's a muscle. Sometimes we, it's past the point of really saying, all right, I tried all my efforts. We did everything we could do. And now it's over. There's no chance of that working, being fixed. And then God still waits another day or two or three. And then it's four days later. And then he says, all right, now remove the stone. And then you're like, well, no, Lord, that's dead and gone. Now it stinks. I'm not even interested in that. God's like, I'm not done yet. I had, I had to wait until... It was beyond your fixing and your doing. And Sarah is a great example to us for that. And then it says, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Sound familiar? Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which also received him in a figurative sense. Right? Abraham is a guy that grew in his obedience to God. He was a guy that tried to figure it out. He had an Ishmael. He had this son of the flesh, but you know what? God wasn't done with him, and his faith grew. He wasn't a guy that looked back at his life and said, Gee, honey, remember when we moved out of Ur? Man, I was a mighty man of faith back then. You're living in your past, living in your past walk, your past devotions, your past time in church and in fellowship, your past Bible readings, past when you used to witness to people, and, you, and, and, and your walk with the Lord is current when you're doing that stuff now. You're not living on the, the you know, things you've done in the past. Oh, remember when we used to have Bible studies at work? Man, that was amazing. Like 10 years ago, dude, what are you doing now? That you can keep going. That God is growing your faith like a muscle. Don't live in your past. And then Isaac and Jacob. 
By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of, each of the sons of Joseph and worship leaning on the top of his staff. What is referenced here is really obedience over tradition. Because traditionally, it was the elder that would be blessed. that would have the birthright and the blessing, and, and God switched that up. And God has the liberty to do that. When there's human tradition, God has the ability to say, no, we're changing that up. We're switching it. Going against the grain. Verse 22 says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. It says this, I'll just read it to you guys in, in Genesis chapter 50. It says, And Joseph said to his brethren, verse 24, I am dying, but God surely will visit you and bring you out of this land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. He's going to deliver you, but carry up my bones from here. Right? Joseph gave him a promise of deliverance and encouragement, this mighty man of faith. And Joseph, as a ruler, a leader in Egypt, said, you know what? I lived in this world. I've had it all had everything this world could offer, second in command. And what Egypt has is nothing compared to what God has. Get my bones out of here. I don't want to stay here. This isn't a permanent place for me. Take up my bones from here. Promise me you'll do that because this place is useless. It's a great example to us for those of us who get our eyes on this world or get distracted by things and stuff. Joseph had it all and he said, you know, it's not worth it. Nothing to be compared to what's coming, where I want to go. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. This, we see, and if you remember that there was a law in Egypt to kill every male child, right? Every Hebrew male child. And this is the, the appropriateness of defying man's law. That there is an appropriate time. The Bible says that we need to obey man's law. Romans 13 that we need to be great citizens, that we need to be examples, but there is an appropriate time where we say, you know what, I, that's not for me to obey. And the disciples said that when they were beaten and thrown in prison and threatened, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And they said, you know what, you know, we should obey. Who should we obey, God or man? We're going to obey God. When, when, when the two come in conflict, every time you need to obey God. And there's the, an appropriateness to say, you know what? That's not a law for me. 
That's not something that defies God's law, and I can't do that. It's not often. You're not going to do that every day of your life, probably, right? So you should be driving 55 or 60 when it says 55, right? Ish. You know, there's laws to obey. Absolutely, they're there for our good. Did I say ish? Laws are there for, but sometimes they collide. And the darker the days get, the worse when evil is called good and good is called evil. Some laws that are being made are going to defy, try to defy God's law, and we're not going to. We're not going to. And that's what Moses' parents did. And their faithfulness to God's law versus man's law brought forth a man, Moses. One man. Right? And then it says about Moses, verse 24, it says, and, in, in, you know, all these are huge, very important. We're just gleaning through some of these. But it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He saw something at the finish line that we take our eyes off of. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Moses, what a guy. He had all the power and possessions in Egypt at his fingertips the same way Joseph did. And who likes to suffer? It says he chose to suffer. Man, if I have the choice to suffer, I'm usually not suffering. I don't know if I've ever chosen that much. Suffering is bad if you've ever done it. Maybe you're experiencing it now. Moses chose it. He knew there was a choice to make in his life. He's like, I either stay this road in Egypt and have everything at my fingertips, but the end of this race is destruction. Or I say, you know what? walking with you and he kept his eyes on the finish line sometimes we get distracted in this life and we get our eyes on the race and not the finish line we get our eyes on stuff and not the finish line we get our eyes on things and toys and not on the author and finish of our finisher of our faith like hebrew says says this, Paul echoes this, I believe, in Romans chapter 8, Paul suffered so much, and he ran his course, the Bible says, with joy, finished his course with joy. It's possible. As much as he suffered and went through and the trouble in his life, he says in verse 18 of chapter 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be re revealed in us. 
that there's something going to happen in our lives that's greater than what this world has to offer. Verse 30, speaking of Joshua, says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Joshua's testimony speaks of the victories that we can have in our life in Christ only on the other side of obedience. Like, Lord, that doesn't obey you in this. It doesn't, I don't feel like the outcome's going to be good if I do that. I can't formulize it. I can't force it. But I'll obey. And God gave him great victory in something that seemed like, how is that? How can that work? March around the city every day, the last day, seven times. How are we going to get victory? Like, this is a war. It's dangerous and it can be discouraging to limit the victories in this life to our own natural thinking and our natural resources. You have to obey God. You have to hear his voice. You have to follow his steps. That's what Joshua teaches us. It says, verse 31, Rahab, the harlot, did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab gives us hope for anyone that wants to come to Christ. Gentile, prostitute, living in Jericho, unfamiliar with the God of the Hebrews, but by faith, remember me. She tied that scarlet thread on her window. She was remembered. A harlot who actually made it into the genealogy of Jesus Christ, a Gentile prostitute. There's nobody outside the reach of Jesus Christ. It gives us hope for people that we're praying for. It gives us hope for people in our lives that seem so out of touch. Verse 32, it says this, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, they worked righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong. And they became valiant in battle and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. He's saying, I'm not short on examples, I'm short on time. Like, I can't give you every example in the Bible. He's not short on examples, he's short on time, right? What do you got in 35 minutes to preach, 40 minutes. We're not short on examples, man. You're going through something in your life. Grab the Bible. Get encouraged and comforted. It says this, verse 35, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting the deliverance 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. And yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, which was one of those were Isaiah, under the hand of Manasseh. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And that testimony is for the unknown, for us, the unnamed, the people that, are, that go through this life and sometimes feel alone and abandoned and like nobody knows your name and you got to go through things that are hard in your walk. And you can still go through, you can still make it. You feel like nobody knows your name or how hard it is or the things you're going through right now. Or you wish people could feel the pain you're experiencing. You wish people, that, people knew there's a God who cares, a God who knows. There's lots of unnamed saints who are going through it. Pretty much all of us at one time or another. If you look back with me in verse 1, says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance means foundation, structure. It's the foundation walls for protection. What is faith protecting? What is it the foundation for? It's the foundation for hope. Hope is the hero of chapter 11. Hope is the hero of chapter 11. If you lose hope in this life, you're doomed. In every circumstance, in every situation in your life, if you get your eyes off of hope, you'll feel hopeless. That's the foundation. Faith is the supporting actor. Faith is... is the hero of the story. You can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. Every single counseling session I have, I leave the door of hope wide open. I want to kick it down for people. I want people to have hope in their situation. Because there's a God who works in circumstances that look hopeless feel hopeless, that seem hopeless. Like there's no chance of this working. I want to infuse it by God's word and his promises and the testimonies that we read in the Bible, the examples we have, these heroes of faith who are cheering us on in that stadium to keep going. Right? We're going to have communion this morning. And there's a reason to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. It's an evidence of love. It's an infusion of hope that the same God that was faithful to us in 2022 is going to be faithful to us in 2023. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing's changed. We serve the same God who was there for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. David.
He loves you and He loves me. I encourage you guys to be reminded of the call on your life, God's promises in your life. I would encourage you guys to start 2023 out with a journal if you don't have one. That you would get a journal and begin to write and record God's promises for your life, the things that he's spoken over your life. Be reminded of what he's told you about your life and the future. Because without that, you lose hope. So easy to forget. I don't know if you guys are forgetful. I can tell you that I'm forgetful. And I can be so come, come away from devotions or a Bible study and have so much hope and joy and peace. And then two hours later, like, what, God, what did you show me again? Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's not you guys. That's why journals are so important. Make a record. God speaking into your life and walk in those things. Don't live on last year's faith two years ago or three years ago, the faithful man or woman that you used to be, who are you today? What's going on in your life today? So we're just going to pray. Have communion. Lord, we're so thankful, God, that we serve a God who doesn't change, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same God who is faithful to David is the same God who's going to be faithful to me, to us. We can hold on to your promises because all of your promises are yes and amen. There's promises for every situation. There's testimonies for every example that we could ever walk through in this life. Because as much joy and hope and peace we can get in this life, there's also trials and tribulations and trouble. And we've got to hold on to something. It's your word, the promises in it and of it, Lord. And we're thankful for your sacrifice, who you are to us, God. I just pray as we take communion today, we reflect on uh, who you are and your faithfulness. That you'd speak to our hearts about the things you've done in our lives and the things you want to do in our lives. And, and, and no matter, in spite of us, God, in spite of if there's a little Abraham in us and a little Jacob in us and a little uh, Sarah in us, who at times maybe wavers at your promise, tries to take matters into our own hand, God, you're still faithful and you still teach us and you're still completing the good work you started in us, Lord. We trust that. We believe that. And uh, I just pray you'd speak that into our lives, Lord, as we reflect on who you are to us and what you've done for us, Lord, to make that possible.